This episode of Timucua Presents is supported by the Accidental Music Festival Marathon, a free performance taking place May 20th from 1 to 10 p.m. at Soto Shopping Center. More information at accidentalmusicfestival.com slash marathon. This is Timucua Presents. I'm David McDonald. Today, I'm going to share with you a conversation I had with Gabriel Pricer from Opera Orlando. We talked about launching and relaunching an opera company, making an opera repertoire relevant in 2017, and what it means to present opera just a few miles from one of the biggest tourism and entertainment hubs on the planet. As usual, I'd like to ask for your help just a little bit first. First, tell a friend or family member about this podcast. You can even show them how to subscribe on their phones. Second, leave us a rating or review in iTunes. Third, stop by Marathon AMF and say hello. I'll be there, and I'd love to meet you. Now, let's get on with the episode. I'll let Gabe introduce himself. My name's Gabriel Pricer, Executive and Artistic Director for Opera Lando, but I moonlight as an operatic baritone. Tell me a little bit about where opera Orlando came from and and maybe through that where you're coming from as a singer. Right, right. Well, I actually grew up in this area in Apopka, Florida, of all places, um, and was a singer, you know, did my studies at Florida State University of Houston, uh, moved back home and discovered the opera company that used to be here was around for almost 50 years, fabulous company, great productions. Um, was no longer around, and it closed back in 2008 because of the economic recession, um, financial issues within the company. Um, so that was kind of sad to come home to and not not have the opera company here. Of course, the Philharmonic was doing opera and got to sing with them. And there was a small company called Florida Opera Theater um, that had been founded basically by the Opera Guild members of Orlando Opera and was trying to keep opera alive. So I uh, hopped on board with them, hopped on the board, literally, um, and kind of got involved. And we started talking about, hey, let's give this a a serious go at it. And um, let's change the name from Florida Opera Theater to Opera Orlando. So people would know where we were and what we were about. And so we relaunched about a year and a half ago. And the reception from the community has just been amazing. Now, no one really knows why they put me in charge of it. That, you know, that's the big mystery. Uh, but it's been going really well so far. We just had our first full season at the Pew Theater at the Dr. Phillips Center, um, and it was completely sold out. So for, for those that missed it, uh, what, what was on that season? We did, it was the year of the dawn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in more ways than one. It was uh, Don Pasquale by Donizetti. Um, All in the Night Visitors, Christmas Opera by Minotti, great little charming piece, and Don Giovanni, there's our second Don by Mozart, and yeah, all three were sold out there at the Pew Theater, really intimate space, and next year, we've already announced we're doing La Boheme in the fall, Um, All in the Night Visitors again, it'll be a new production of the Christmas Opera, and Cinderella by Rossini. That's excellent. Uh, so is there a reason you're reprising the Amal and the Night Visitors? It's just such a crowd favorite. You know, I mean, I'd hate Especially to... for Christmas. Yeah, yeah. And it's a 45-minute piece in English for the entire family. It sold out really fast last year. And the other thing that's exciting about it is we have other venues that are interested in doing the production. So it be- kind of becomes a touring production for us. So... W- 
this is a, a really interesting time for opera in in the United States in particular. I think you mentioned that um, opera companies folding in 2008 was not an uncommon thing, and, and certainly every circumstance is unique, right? right. There's, there's no uh, opera company that's exactly like Opera Orlando or, you know, City Opera in New York certainly had its own issues uh yeah i'm gonna go with soap opera uh behind the <laughs> scenes and so i guess a, a question that i would have about opera in orlando is how do you talk to people about opera and make it feel relevant because you know this is a, not a, a unique concern for opera it's for classical music as a whole but i think it's particularly um just a, a cultural conception of opera yeah there's so many stereotypes around opera that it's the fat lady singing and uh it's only for the super wealthy uh you have to wear a tux you have to wear a gown and you fall asleep halfway through because it's so long right only some of those are true no well i mean it's our job to educate and put out there what opera can be and really what it is it is an old art form but because of that there are so many different types of opera that exist it's been around since 1600, so there's many genres, many styles of opera. Um, the other fun thing about opera is you can take a piece, like Don Giovanni, for instance, which we just did, written in the late 1700s, and Mozart was trying to be social commentary and kind of poke fun at the aristocracy at his day. So how can we make that part of it relevant we update it, right? And we put Don Giovanni on a college campus, kind of underlined modern day issues like hazing or gender roles on a college campus and all the things that go into that. And all of a sudden, we created a lot of buzz around that. I think our big mission is to make opera relevant, like you're saying, but not just relevant like, oh, you have to come see this museum piece, but no, really like this music, these plots still talk to us. These are still issues that we see today. Um, and we, we hope to partner with the community in doing that. Um, we, we hope to partner with other arts groups. And uh, we've, we've seen a great reaction so far that people, people don't want to just go and see the same production that they've seen before. They want to see something different. And what's our take on it? What has, speaking of your take on it, what has the reaction been to the performances that you've had? You, you mentioned that, that you've done pretty well with ticket sales, but what, what have people said when they're walking out? Oh, it's very interesting because uh, we, we have a dichotomy of very conservative audience base and then uh, a, a, the, young, the young crowd who are like, I'm not so sure. I want it to really you know, appeal to me, be entertaining. And um, the young crowd's up for anything. You know, They'll come check it out. And, and most of them are, are wowed, just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you people sing that loud or can sing for that long. You know, they're always impressed by that part of it. And then the more conservative crowd, they always go in and are like, I'm not sure I'm going to like this, you know, Gabe, I don't know what you're doing here this, with this production. But then by the end of it, they, they love it. You know, they, they fall for it because they see the piece in a new light and it challenges them in a different way. So how do you see that um, moving forward? How do you plan for next season? How do you select your rep that's going to kind of grow with your audience? Right. I think uh, first and foremost, we, we try and bring in the top top level, top talent singers that we can, we can get here in Orlando because a big part of opera is the singing. 
And if the voices aren't dynamite, if the acting isn't dynamite, people aren't going to fall in love with it. So we try and serve the art form to its fullest in that regard. And we've partnered with the Orlando Phil to have the best orchestra available to, to play for our performances. And then it's getting the right creative team, the, the, the genius, to treat these pieces in a new, fresh way. So we're doing La Boheme set in 1920s in Paris um, and having that juxtaposition of the starving artist against the great Gatsby backdrop, which was the Roaring Twenties of so Paris. So you're France. not going to have a yet another performance of the, the Zeffirelli with the, with the sheet? and the... As much as I love the <laughs> Zeffirelli production, the other exciting thing that we're able to get away with in the pew, it's so intimate. You know, oh, so yeah. you're you're used to hearing Bohem and seeing it at a distance on the Met broadcast or the Zeffirelli production, for instance. Where here, I mean, Mimi, I don't want to give too much away. But spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. She does die, and it happens right in front of you. And there's no pit either. So the front row, I mean, you feel like you're on stage. And it, I did a production like that in a thrust with the Bohem and a thrust. And at the end of each performance, it was pure silence in the audience. You know, usually they're already applauding. You just blew me away. I've I've never thought about it that way. That you you can put that character's death like right in somebody's lap. Yeah. I I mean, because I've I've seen Bohem a couple of times. It changed from the whole piece like you for me. said from four hundred yards away. Right. It, it stops being grand opera. Nothing against grand opera. We we want to do grand opera once we get the new opera house here, but it stops being grand opera and it becomes storytelling, right? becomes intimate you feel what the characters are feeling and if, if you can't then <laughs> you're not you're not awake or you're not human one or the other That sounds very exciting to me, and I would, I would really be interested in. Uh, I'll definitely have to come check out this this poem. If for only sure. you knew somebody that could get you tickets. Yeah, uh, I'll have to ask. <laughs> um, and the cool thing with the mall that we're going to try out this year is um, using a lot of projections. A mall, uh, the boy he sees a star at the beginning, and so we want to project constellations throughout of all the things he imagines because he has this vivid imagination, which his mother is constantly kind of disciplining, like, don't lie, don't make that up. And so we'll get to see all of his lies and imaginations in the, in the projections. Um, and then with Cinderella, um, we're treating it as a dream. It's all in her head, and because it's a dream, we get to be over-the-top, kind of Raoul doll, dark fantasy, exaggerated costumes, exaggerated characters of her, of her story or her dream. Well, I would certainly hope that when you get your giant opera hall, that you still keep doing these small things because those 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 stories that you just told me sound very very exciting and exactly the sort of thing that cut against people's expectations about opera. Right, right. We won't. We keep your attention. <laughs> I, I I've never. Um, seen uh an op i've seen small operas you mentioned Monotti. i've seen console and 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 things like that that are designed for that kind of setting i've never seen a uh one of those kind of grand operas in a smaller space and it strikes me as particularly novel and it also strikes me you know i, I you know joked about the zeffirelli production mm -hmm. earlier yeah and if 
uh, you're listening and you don't know what I'm talking about, if you have seen a photograph of Lab OM happening, it was it's a, the it's the same yeah. thing, right? <laughs> there's there's a sheet and there's a table and uh, there's an easel and like it's the same exact same set pieces that people have been using for Bohem for a hundred years. Yeah. Um, but and hearing you talk about presenting opera in this smaller theater. It seems like it forces you to make different creative decisions. Like you can't do some of those things in that exactly. space. It limits us, but yet it frees us. So we don't have to think, well, this is the way it's always done. No, there's several ways to interpret it. Um, and it is becoming a very popular um, trend in the opera world. You'll, you'll see companies like Loft Opera, which do site-specific productions. And they did, I think, Macbeth recently on a very small scale. Yeah. Um, obviously minimalism has been an ever popular thing in the arts and I, I don't, it's not really minimalism. It's just respecting the storytelling aspect of the piece. You know what I mean? And, and obviously we are a company of economy given our size and where we're, where we're headed and also the size of the venue. I mean, we don't really have a venue right now. I mean, we're holding our breath for Steinmetz because Bob Carp is just too big and um, the pew is just perfect for us right now. It really is. So we, we appreciate that it stretches our creativity. It doesn't limit us. It stretches us. This episode is also supported by Park Ave CDs. Park Ave CDs is an independent record store in Orlando. Over the last 25 years, they've become a cultural institution in this town. Stop by their location on Corinne Drive. Nope, not Park Avenue, as you might guess. They've moved. But stop by on Corinne Drive to browse new and used CDs, DVDs, LPs, along with t-shirts, books, posters, magazines, and all sorts of other cool gifts. They're also online at parkavcds.com. That's P-A-R-K-A-V-E-C-D-S dot com. Parkavcds.com. We thank them for the support of the Timical Arts Foundation. And now, back to my conversation with Opera Orlando's Gabriel Pricer. I'm a big fan of site-specific opera, and I just haven't found the right timing to do it here in Orlando. Um, so I'm, my eyes are always open for alternate spaces, alternate venues. Um, we do a, res a, a concert series at the University Club, um, and that's a chance for our opera stars to come in and do an hour concert of their favorite arias or favorite art songs for our audience members to get to know them a little more intimately. So that's something we do in the fall, August 6th through 27th. Um, we have the touring version of a mall, which last year we did at Central Christian Church, Broadway United Methodist Church, at someone's home as well. We do a lot of performances or concerts in people's homes. Um, and so we still have that this year. If anybody wants a mall in their home, just give me a call and we'll, we'll bring it by. But yeah, we're always looking out for other venues. Um, but I would say the Pew Theater is kind of our our home and our residence, our main residence for our productions right now. So that's the second time you've mentioned bringing in big stars. Um, so I've got a couple of questions about that. Uh, first of all, what kinds of who, who what kinds of people are you bringing in? All right. Well, good question. Well, for Bohem, we have uh, Cecilia Violeta Lopez, who has sung at the Met, has been on the Met roster. Um, has done Violetta all over the place. I think this will be her first Mimi in Bohem, which is exciting. I mean, that's the fun thing about a young company. You can kind of entice these singers who want to do a role for the first time 
where there's not as much pressure as a New York stage or a Chicago stage. So uh, we're, we're able to sneak them in sometimes. For our recital series, we have the lovely uh, Wendy Bryn Harmer, who is um, she's singing at the Met right now. Um, she does Strauss, um, Wagner, the big girl stuff, the big girl stuff. I'm not sure what show she's in right now. Oh, gosh, I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, but she wanted to come down just because she has family down here in the Orlando area. So that, you know, and people want to get away from the cold weather sometimes. So there's all sorts of excuses why we can entice them to come down here. Despite us being uh, a small company, uh, we're able to get great singers. Thank goodness. And so, so kind of the, the other end of that is what about, uh, I would think that one of the benefits of being opera Orlando is that there is something uniquely Orlando about it. Right. So, um, I, I, and, and obviously you're not, you know, bussing in every person that's in the production in, in every way from New York or Chicago or Houston. Right. Um, what has your experience been with local talent? Yeah, I should say it's really a mix. You know, we, we try and use our local talent as much as possible because we have so much, we have so much local talent here. Um, so I would say it's, it's probably, you know, 70% local, 30% that we, we fly in from elsewhere. Um, we just had Jeanette Zilioli, Zilioli, who grew up here in Orlando, sang Donanna and Giovanni for us. Um, Sarah Norden, who was a resident artist at Orlando Opera, um, she and her husband were both in Giovanni for us. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm always impressed by the local town. And of course, we have our opera chorus, over 40 voices, um, all based out of Orlando, who sing in our productions. and just sang in the Bocelli concert when he was here at the Amway Center. So, Excellent. So do you perform with the, with the opera? When appropriate, when appropriate. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to not perform as much now that I have the administrative position, but I, I am a singer first and foremost, so every once in a while they let me sing. So do you still perform outside of your responsibilities? I do, I do, yeah, yeah, and uh, that's always fun. I mean, performance is my first love, performing is my first love. I just got back from Denver uh, doing a St. Matthew Passion with the Colorado Symphony. What was really cool about that, it was a staged version of the Passion. Interesting. Traditionally, in Oratorio, you wouldn't stage it, but it's becoming, uh, again, this popular trend to stage the St. John Passion and the St. Matthew Passion, and maybe something we'll bring here. We'll see. So, speaking of you know the 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 talent here in Orlando, what else, or maybe maybe this is just totally out of left field, but what sorts of things do you do as a company to make the the productions themselves, the the repertoire, the the way you present it, something that is special for people that are in Orlando. It seems to me like there there are a lot of opera companies, and going to see even a small opera company in uh, Kansas City is not going to be that different than seeing a small opera company anywhere else, unless they go out of their way to make it that way. Right, right. You, you, it's a it's a big question, the question you're asking, uh, but I'll try and answer it as succinctly as possible. We. I don't want to call it competition because no one can hope to compete with Disney World or Universal. But you have to it's be It's totally a competition. But you have to be aware they exist, right? You would be fooling yourself if you pretended that they didn't exist. And because of that, the Orlando audience is spoiled. 
right? They know amazing entertainment. They know amazing customer service. They know amazing innovation. We can't really go all the way to that level, but we have to try. We have to try and be unique in a way. We have to try and use the technologies that exist. And that's what's exciting. You know, we have um, amazing resources here in Orlando to try and do projections or even, who knows, virtual reality. You know, we'll we'll see what we can come up with. Uh, again, we're a company of economy. <laughs> uh, we well, don't... and I think like you said, it's a, it's, a, it's a lot about that limitation forcing you to make different creative decisions that might be the sorts of things that somebody at, at Disney or Universal would not think to make. Right, right, right. So um, we we do try and think outside of the box, and we do try and remind ourselves that as much as we want to say, well, this is all about educating the audience and culture, it's entertainment. We have to be entertaining. We have to give the audience something that will be memorable and distinct, and we have some war horses that we're competing against with Universal and Disney. So yeah, we're always trying to think of what's the next what's the next cool thing that we can come up with. It's funny to think of Mickey as a as a war horse, as as a person <laughs> steeped in like classical music when with I think of war horse, I'm thinking of like Beethoven yeah. and, and, and Strauss. <laughs> um but of course here Bohemus, you know, you know, any of those uh, Yeah, well in this uh, community those are the those are the, the and luckily the they're so supportive of the arts with Disney grants and even um, often donating um, equipment, monitors, audiovisual equipment. So, and, I mean, we're very grateful that they're here. Also, it, it's uh, alluring for some of our artists to come down here because they want to take a day out to Disney, go to the parks, go see Harry Potter World for the first time. So it's a win-win. So since since getting involved with opera in the city of Orlando and, and relaunching this opera company, uh, uh, you said a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. um, is there anything that has really surprised you about the 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 experience? You know what's shocking is how much people care. People really care about what shows we do, how we do it. Um, they they care about our future. They they want to see opera as a major part of the community here in Orlando. And I mean that at every level, from the mayor on down to people who walk by and see our sign here in our new office. They are are they realize that it's important for a city that should be a major city given our size, right? Given the size of Orlando, to have fine arts organizations at a high level, the ballet, the Philharmonic, and the opera. Um, So, I mean, when I took this on, I was like, this is going to be really hard work, which it is, don't get me wrong. But I thought it would be a lot of like, just throwing darts in the darkness and hoping and praying. It's amazing the amount of support that we have received in the community. I'm, I'm grateful for it and shocked by it on a consistent basis. That's really exciting. And, um, maybe kind of hopeful that extremely extremely yeah is is there anything aside from presenting grand operas in in a hall that doesn't exist yet (laughs) is there anything that you want to do that for for whatever reason you you haven't either had the the resources or the time or uh you know the 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 energy to to do yet with Opera Orlando. Well, the the site specific is something that I just haven't found the right place yet site. to do. This site, yeah, I, I did a, a site specific version 
um, with a, another company that I'm a part a part of in Minneapolis. And it was uh, Marriage of Figaro set in a 1920s mansion, and we did it Downton Abbey style. <laughs> And it was, people loved it. We did it in English, you know, with the full costumes, and people just loved it. The problem here in Orlando is we don't have houses old enough <laughs> or large enough uh, to, to pull that off. Um, so we'll have to think of something else. So that's something, you know, because I think that, again, takes away the wall of I have to sit in the nosebleeds and uh, have my binoculars on to see what's happening I mean, you're literally on top of people in these small rooms doing site-specific opera. It's, it's really, it's indescribable. This, that sounds very exciting. I, I would love to, 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 to see something like that when you, when you get it put together. I'll let you know, I promise. Uh, it sounds great. <laughs> we, should, we should crowdsource this for, for people that are listening. If you've got a, a cool space, yes. get in touch. Yes, please let me know. And it doesn't have to be Downton Abbey, Marriage of Figaro. I mean, there's other site-specific stuff you can do. You, you mentioned performing Figaro in English, uh, and that's actually something I meant to ask you. Um, what, what language do you sing opera in here uh, with, with Opera Orlando? I should have I, I grew up before. in St. Louis, and yeah. Opera Theater St. Louis does everything in, in English. English. Yeah, and some people would say that's controversial. How dare they not Aww. do it in the native tongue? But I think that was a smart move on their part, and that was their niche, um, and they served gave the audience what they wanted. Uh, what we tried this past year with Giovanni, we did the recits in English and the music, the arias, duets, ensembles in Italian. People weren't so sure. Again, they're like, Gabe, what are you doing? This is a terrible idea. I, I did a production like that, and I thought I was going to hate it. But then I fell in love with it. And of course, the recits, if you're familiar with the art form, the recits are more of the the speaking dialogue part anyway to move that's the, the part forward. that's important to understand exactly so you again you take away that wall of i don't understand the language so i'm just going to look up at the surtitles all night you give it to them in their own language then they're they stay awake they pay attention they get the jokes they start laughing at the right, right moment instead of waiting for the translation and laughing at the wrong moment especially which for is, giovanni oh my gosh exactly which is hilarious if you know what they're saying sometimes too hilarious and kind of uh, <laughs> disturbingly hilarious uh, with the catalog aria, but that's another story. Um, and But then we gave them the flavor, because I think that's the danger of doing everything in English. Nothing against Opera Theater St. Louis, fabulous company, but I think the danger of doing everything in English is you lose the flavor of the composer, what he had in his ear when he set that music to amore, not love, but amore. That's what he had in his ear, and that's how he said it. Um, so yeah, you get that flavor by doing the arias and the duets in the native tongue, but then it's more accessible because you have the recits in English. That's and, a, I think it's a wonderful compromise, and I don't think I've I've heard an opera performed that way before. Yeah, Bohem we're doing in Italian. I've done Bohem in English. It's just not that good. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why I'm whispering, but I mean, it was just it's just painful. Again, you have it so ingrained in your ear to hear it in Italian and. Uh, yeah, so we're doing Bohem in Italian. Amal will be in English, which Minotti wrote it in English. Um, and then Cinderella will do the hybrid, recits in English and arias, duets in Italian. How do the singers feel about, about switching? Um, well, they signed the contract, so <laughs> no, they, they love it. Okay. They love it, yeah. I mean, th this is a new generation of opera singers who are, are, are more daring, willing to take risk, are more actor singers than just singing actors 
Um, so yeah, usually they go for it. What was shocking with the Giovanni, and we probably shouldn't have done this, we said, well, and if you want to change some of the English translation, feel free to, because it was also an updated version, right? And some of them came in and rewrote everything, including other people's parts. <laughs> How long must I shout to make you obey? I'm sorry, Mother. Pain, it's time to go to bed. But Mother, let me stay a little longer. The wind is cold. The clock is warm. Let me stay a little longer. The night is dark. The sky is light. Let me stay a little longer. The time is late. But the moon hasn't risen yet. Let me stay a little There won't be any moon tonight. Child very soon if he doesn't hurry up and obey his mother. Oh, very well. Please visit do visit our website. We do have production photos so you can see the updated version of Giovanni in a frat house. That sounds that sounds like a thing that I, I need to see yeah. on a, pretty, probably on a regular basis. I should just set a reminder. It was great. The finale had uh, Burger King food, French fries. That was the big feast, you know. Yeah. It was just a Burger King feast. So perfect. Yeah. So uh, Opera Theater or Opera Theater uh, Opera Orlando is uh, presenting uh, on the marathon concert that accidental music festival is presenting on may 20th tell us a little that's bit like about a week and a half it's like yeah that's coming right up yeah so t- t- tell me a little bit about that well first of all we're very grateful for the opportunity uh we love the timaqua arts foundation accidental music festival benoit elaine chris beatrice we love all you guys so thank you for inviting us um we decided obviously it's to have new music on the program. Um, and there's a lot. There's a lot of new opera out there. It's crazy. It's a whole other world, you know. Um, and one day I hope we can do some full productions of new opera here in Orlando. Fingers crossed. But we decided it would be an opportunity to feature a local composer, um, Stella Sung, who is a professor at UCF. Her opera, The Book Collector, premiered... Uh, I want to say just a year ago, it was very recent, at uh, Dayton Opera. And what was really cool about it, everyone in the uh, classic music world knows the piece Carmina Burana, very popular piece for orchestra and soloist, which sometimes is staged. And the challenge with Carmina is what do you pair it with? Because it's an hour and, you know, people want to pay for more than just an hour entertainment in the classic music scene. Um, So sometimes they'll pair it with other ballets and they'll do Carmina as a ballet. Sometimes they'll pair it with Pagliacci or another one act opera and try and stage it that way. But there's no piece that's written to be paired with Carmina. So Stella wrote the book collector, which kind of functions as a prologue, right? Um, And it has three singers uh, serendipitously, a tenor, a soprano and baritone, the three soloists that are used in Carmina. Um, And, the story follows two men that want this ancient writing, Carmina Burana. And there's an auction at the beginning. The, the one guy gets the book, the tenor, and the baritone, who turns out to be the bad guy. The baritone's, he's either the father, the villain, or the friend, or he's Don Giovanni. Those or are his the only old, options. He's the old wise man that gives the, the tenor the good advice. 
That too. That too, right? Usually those are bass baritones. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and but, they speak Russian. But gosh, I don't know why. I'm not a bad guy. Baritones are not bad guys, but we usually are a villain. Anyway, so the, the baritone doesn't get the book. He's obsessed with it. He convinces his daughter to, to go and get it. The daughter falls in love with the tenor, doesn't know that her dad poisoned this thing that he gives the time. I'm giving too much away. Um, you don't want to spoil the ending. This is good stuff. Yeah, so it, it all goes to crap at the end. And then Car- the Carmina Burana comes out of that and is their experience in the life after. Fascinating. It's really this cool. This sounds really cool, yeah. It's really cool, and it was a big success at Dayton Opera. So we're going to do three excerpts from The Book Collector and kind of tell the story. Stella herself will be there to play on the piano, which is always cool to have the composer accompany you. It's a little, we have a rehearsal tomorrow. Like, I need to learn my music because, like, the composer's going to be there and she's going to actually know what she wrote. But, uh, no, it should be really fun. It should be really fun. Did she write the libretto or did she have somebody? She Yeah, she partnered with a librettist um, whose name I can't remember. That's all right. Yeah. Oh, I'll, sorry. No, that's sorry, Stella's librettist. I'm what, sorry, I don't remember your name. What uh, what time are you guys going on at the marathon? We're at one thirty, one thirty, and it'll be myself. I'll be singing the the baritone, and uh, Pete Rodriguez, great local tenor, uh, will be singing the the tenor part, and Samantha Barnes will be our Anna, the soprano role. Samantha is a fabulous singer. Yeah, yeah. I just heard her uh, at. Uh, Bob Carr with the OPO the Mahler. doing Mahler. Thank you. She was in the Mahler. Exactly. Yeah. See? That was, thank you for helping me because I was totally spitting on <laughs> the word Mahler. I, yeah. Um, so, and, and we should say people can, if you're listening to this, you can find out more information about the Accidental Music Festival Marathon at accidentalmusicfestival.com. Um, and I'm sure there are plenty of links there to all of all of your stuff as well. Where should, where should people go if they want to find more about Opera Orlando. Our website is very hard to remember. Um, it's operaorlando.org. Got it. <laughs> Just I remember think... where opera comes first. Not to be confused with Orlando Opera. So, yeah, that's what something we say. It's supposed to be funny. Operaorlando.org. That's where you can find us. Got it. Well, thank you so much for your time, Gabe. Thank it's you. Been a pleasure talking yeah. to you. Thanks for listening. Thanks again to Gabriel Pricer for taking some time to talk to me. Subscribe to this feed in iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts for more episodes just like this. I'd like to thank again our sponsors, Marathon AMF and Park Ave CDs. Marathon AMF, again, taking place all day on May 20th from 1 to 10 p.m. at Soto Shopping Center. It's completely free and features a ton of different performers from all over the Orlando area. It's going to be lots of fun. Bring the family and hang out for a while and listen to some really great performances. If you would like to join AMF and Park Ave CDs by sponsoring future episodes of the podcast, please get in touch with us at podcast at timokua.com. The executive producer of Timokua Presents is Chris Belt. It was recorded and edited by me, David McDonald. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you at the show.